as James says, our scripture lesson this morning is from Paul's epistle to the Ephesians and is contained in chapter 3. We read verses 14 to 21. Let us hear the word of God. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, for ever and ever. Amen. May God bless this reading of his most holy word. Now, if you do have your Bible with you this morning, please do turn back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, as we look at this passage this morning. Now, this morning is the last in our series about thinking about those times when we are down in the valley. And over the past number of weeks, we have thought about the common feeling in the Christian life of being down in the valley. Those times when we feel that God isn't there, or that God doesn't care, or that God isn't listening. Now we thought in our first week thinking about this, about those inexplicable times when we are down in the valley. Those times that we are down in the valley, and it's not because of sin, and it's not because of disobedience, but it just seems that heaven is silent. And we work through Psalm 42, which reminds us to hold on and to remember what God has done in the past and to keep trusting and knowing that that time in the valley will pass and we will rise up the mountain once more. And then over the past few weeks, we've thought about past regrets. We've thought about fear of the future. We've thought about times when we have forgotten about grace and become bitter. And last week, as we thought about Jesus walking on the water and Peter going out uh, to walk on the water with Jesus, we thought about those times when, like Peter, we focus on the waves and not the one who created the waves. Those times when we focused on the problem rather than trusting in the problem solver, the one who is powerful and amazing and awesome 
the one who can do what is impossible. Now, this morning, as we bring this series to a close, what we're going to be thinking about is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. It is an amazing and a wonderful prayer. We will only scratch the surface uh, this morning. Go home, meditate uh, on Ephesians 3, 14 uh, to 21. And I guess that the focus, as we are down in the valley this morning, might be slightly different. Because what we have in Paul's prayer is a passionate prayer for the church in Ephesus, that out of the glorious riches of God, that they might be strengthened through the Holy Spirit, and that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. Now, what Paul is praying for here is that the Ephesian Christians would truly grasp what they have in their faith. You see, what can hold us down in the valley, sometimes in our faith, is the thought that we have arrived. The thought that as soon as we are converted, as soon as we are born again, if you want to put it in those terms, that we have arrived, that we've we've reached the end point of the Christian faith. And we can fall into the trap of living out our Christian life as if our conversion is the end point of our faith without actually discovering that it's just the beginning. It really is just the beginning. You see, problems can happen in our Christian life when we don't truly grasp all that there is in Christ Jesus. When we stall in our Christian life and when we stop realizing there is more and there is always more. When we start taking God for granted, which we can easily do. And in Paul's prayer to the Ephesians, he is praying that the Christians in Ephesus might have the power to grasp all that God is and all that God has for them. Because if they grasp all that God is, then they cannot be down in the valley for long. And I want to say to you this morning, the same is true for us. Now, as we think about this prayer this morning and what Paul is pointing the Ephesians towards, I want to show you um, this image. And perhaps you've seen locks like this at uh, various places. I think you used to see them more abroad. I certainly remember seeing them uh, abroad. But there are various bridges uh, in Glasgow, other places, uh, that you'll see them in Scotland. And you will see a lock, and it'll be on on a bridge, and there might be quite a number of them. And on the padlock is the name of a couple professing their love for one another. And the padlock is attached to a bridge and it's meant to be there permanently. The key is generally thrown away. Now on this particular padlock, you'll notice that it says, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Now, as you read that message this morning, what do you think? You see, if you're a Christian here today, you know that Jesus loves you. Or at least I hope you do. But what we need shaken from us sometimes is that we can take Jesus' love for granted. 
You see, I really want you to know here this morning, not just that Jesus loves you, but Jesus loves you. That's what I want you to know today. That's something that ought to move you within. You see, so often we can live out our lives, it's like, oh, well, I know Jesus loves me. But it's like, oh, apathetic. But that's not what you find in Paul's prayer, is it? He wants the Ephesian Christians to truly grasp the love of Christ. Jesus loves you. You see, it's not just a throwaway comment, but it's something deeper, something much more wonderful that needs to drop from our head right to our heart and move us. You see, what Paul wants the Ephesians to grasp is not something that's difficult. All he wants them to have the power to do is to grasp the love of Christ. And he wants to show the Ephesians that the love of Christ shouldn't be diminished. It shouldn't be taken lightly. Indeed, it's something that we need to reflect on much, much more. You see, what does Paul pray here? He prays that the Ephesians, rooted and established in love, might have the power to grasp, along with the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide the love of Christ is. How wide it is. I was trying to think of a picture that would portray how wide something is. And what came to mind is, is when you're on a hilltop or you're at a viewing point and you just have this, this panoramic view, you can see it from east to west, can't you? And you see how, how wide and how vast things seem to be. The love of Christ is wide. It's wide. But it's also long. When we're on a journey, children often ask, are we nearly there yet? Because some journeys just seem long, don't they? And maybe you've been on a journey and it's just it's taken forever and ever and ever. The love of Christ is long. And not in a bad, boring way. It's huge. It's enormous. It's long. It's also high. I don't know if you can see that. That's the kind of view that you get when you're on a plane, isn't it? You know, when you take off and you you go up and you go up and you go up and it can be cloudy, you go through all the clouds and then you are, you're at the top and you can look down and you see all the clouds and, and everything below you. And if it's a clear day, everything looks tiny, doesn't it? You're way up high. The love of Christ is high. And it's not just high. It's deep. I think I'm right in saying that sea level to the bottom of the deepest ocean is deeper than Mount Everest is high, if you understand what I mean. It's very, very deep, the deepest part of the ocean. The oceans are, are really, really deep. But so is the love of Christ. That's what I want you to see this morning. You see, I don't know about you, but there are some days when I think of the love of Christ and I think, yes, Jesus loves me, but my view of his love is quite small. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Well, Jesus loves me kind of that much. That's nice. But what's Paul saying to the church in Ephesus? What's he praying for them? He's saying, I want you, as Christians, to understand how wide it is, how long it is, how high, how deep 
is the love of Christ. That Jesus' love isn't small. It's enormous. It's huge. It covers all dimensions. And indeed, it surpasses knowledge. You see, let's never get into the habit of making God too small. Domesticating God or putting God in a box. You see, when we do, that's when we get into trouble. That's when we are away down in the valley because our view of God is is too small. And then everything else in our life overwhelms us. But if we grasp something of the sheer size, the sheer majesty of Jesus' love, if we grasp for us truly what Jesus has done for us on the cross and what he went to Calvary to do for you, then you will be amazed. You see, the love of Christ is not just four-dimensional. It surpasses knowledge. That's how amazing it is. Now, as Paul prays this prayer for the Ephesians this morning, the question for us today is, how do we grasp this? How do we grasp this? How do we grasp how great the love of Christ is for us? Do we grasp it? Or do we simply gloss over it? Do we not really think about it too much? You see, what Paul is trying to do is to lift up the Ephesians' eyes, to understand how amazing God is, and that he is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. He's saying to these Christians, you know, yes, you believed in Christ, but there's more. And there's still more. And as you're here this morning, you might have been a Christian for a long, long time, but you've never arrived. There's still more. And the question for us today is, do we believe in this God who's so amazing, who's so wonderful? Do we believe and trust in him? And does he thrill our hearts? What did I show you earlier? I showed you one of those locks that you find on the bridge. And usually it's put there by some couple who are in the first stages of romance, aren't they? And maybe you remember those times when you were in the first stages of romance. And your heart, what did it do? Boom, boom, boom. Thrilled within you. Is that not what should happen when we think of Jesus? When we think of his love for us? Should it not move us? And yet so often we're unmoved, aren't we? It's often said that there are generally two types of people. Those whose glass is half empty and those whose glass is half full. In the Christian life, I think that so often we are satisfied with the dregs in the glass. Or we're satisfied with it being half full. But God has so much more for us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to live for him. And as Paul says to the Ephesians here, he wants them to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, what I want to say to you this morning is with God, there are no half measures. We are filled to the measure. We are filled overflowing. Is that not what you long for in your life? That God would, would fill you with his spirit 
and that you might have the power to grasp all that God is, all that God has done, His great love for you, that you will be filled to overflowing. You see, when you you understand how big God is, then everything else in comparison seems really, really small. You see, what is Paul praying for? He isn't praying for half-hearted Christians, is he? He isn't praying for lukewarm Christians. He's praying for Christian believers who are alive, who are passionate, and who know God. As you know, this is a challenging time in the church. The church in Scotland, the church of Scotland in particular. There's falling membership, lack of finance, lack of ministers. There's lots of structural change going on to try to address these problems. I want to say something to you this morning. What the church needs is not more money. What the church needs is not more ministers. What the church needs is not even more members. What does the church need? The church needs more of God. That's what the church needs, more of God. More of God to inhabit and to enliven a church that the church might find life and might be vibrant once more. And each one of us, as individual Christians, needs more of God too. Is that not what you long for in your heart? So let's spend time in God's Word. Let's spend time seeking after God in prayer. And if you aren't in the habit of praying, well, you can use the month of prayer to give you a kickstart. And when you seek after God, amazing things can happen because God is an amazing God. That's the God that we have. You see, sometimes people will come to me and say, oh, you know, God's not really there and, you know, God doesn't really speak to me and I don't understand how God seems to speak to other people, but he never really speaks to me. And sometimes if I was bold enough, what I might say to that person is, well, have you actually spoken to God? Have you actually spent time with God? Because how can God speak to you when you're not even speaking to him? When you seek after God, amazing things can happen because God is an amazing God. Do we believe that this morning? You see, we can't lift ourselves up from the valley floor when we're down in the valley. We can't bring life and hope to our own soul. We can't bring life to a church that is dying. But God can do all of this. I believe that passionately with all my heart this morning. Do you believe it too? That God can do all of this? Why do I believe that? Because God can do more than we can ask or imagine. And that's the kind of God that he is. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even in this um, prayer that Paul writes to the Ephesians, there is much to challenge us. Because we recognize that in our lives, sometimes we uh, believe in our Christian life that we have arrived. 
We believe that our conversion is the end point rather than the start point. And as time goes by, our view of you can get smaller and smaller. We can end up putting you in a box, not understanding how great your love is, how wide it is, how long, how high, and how deep. Lord God, we pray this morning that you might give us a fresh vision of you, that you would give us a fresh vision of who you are and all that you have done, that you would give us a fresh vision of the cross, that when we look at the cross, that we would not look at the cross as though we've seen it all before, but we would look at the cross and that we would be moved in our soul that you, Lord God, would love us so much that you would give your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Heavenly Father, we recognize that in the Christian life we can often be down in the valley because our view of you is too small. But we recognize this morning that as Paul prayed for the Ephesians to have power to grasp all that Christ's love is, we pray for ourselves today that you would give us power to grasp all that you are and to trust that you can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. So, Father, we pray that you would enliven our hearts this day, that you would enliven our faith in you. We pray for ourselves as a church here in West Colbright, that you would enliven our faith in you and that you might move through your Holy Spirit. We pray for our local presbytery. We pray for the Church of Scotland. We pray, Lord God, for more of you because we recognize that it's only you that can bring life. It's only you that can bring hope. It's only you that can bring salvation. So, Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word we pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.